So we're looking at living well, speak well, and we're going to just read a couple of verses from Proverbs chapter 10. Verses 31 and 32, they say this. From the mouth of the righteous comes the fruit of wisdom, but a perverse tongue will be silenced. The lips of the righteous know what finds favour, but the mouth of the wicked only what is perverse. Now that's just a little summary, couple of verses, on how we speak. The uh, righteous, from their mouth comes wisdom, fruitful wisdom. Perverse tongue uh, brings uh, silence and judgment. And actually, that sums up a message that comes out a lot in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs has an awful lot to say about what we say and how we speak. And the writer to this book of Proverbs seems to keep on drumming in to his hearers, readers, that you must think about what you say. Take care how you speak. Take care what you say because your words have far greater importance and impact than you realize. I think that is a valid way of summarizing a message that comes out again and again in the book of Proverbs. Now we've got to remember that we believe, I think rightly, that this book is inspired by the Holy Spirit. So this is itself God's word. The writers were inspired when they wrote it. God made sure it was recorded. Many writers, different times, but wonderfully woven together to bring us God's wisdom. So we're not just talking about some human good suggestions. We're talking about God's wisdom. We're talking about the creator of us, men and women, telling us these are some of the ways you need to be careful because they will lead to you living well or things not doing so well. And they are, therefore, very important things. Now, we're going to look at three, under three headings, and they're not even uh, amount of time, probably a bit longer on the first one. We're going to look at the power of words, which we'll now look at. Then I'll tell you in advance, you don't need to put the PowerPoint up. We're going to look at pleasant or perverse words and practical advice. But we're going to start with the power of words. Because I think this is a quite exciting but insightful uh, subject to just meditate on. And we're, I'm relying on God's insights from his word in everything I'm saying. We won't have time to look at all the verses I'd like to. Talking, speaking, words are a very important way by which human beings, men and women, are distinctly different from the animal kingdom. I think they are. Animals do obviously make calls and connect and people have learned a lot about them. But I think there is something far, far more intricate and amazing about the human ability to convey ideas and thoughts by words. It, it means we can have history. It means we pass things on. It means we can create things. It means we can do things. And it has negative effects as well, which we'll see. It is an incredibly wonderful ability to speak and to convey what's in our minds and our hearts. But it is actually a reflection of a God ability. In other words, it's one of the ways that it it is obvious that we are made in the image of God. We are. Human beings have things that are similar to the animal kingdom, but in, in this and many other ways, there are very distinctive features that show we are a separate creation, made in the image of God. God speaks. God loves to communicate. God is not some uh, distant 
a blind watchmaker or something, or nor is he just a force that, that, that made things in a, and we can never connect with. God is a communicating God, and the fact he made us like we are shows that, that he, he made us to be people who communicate, to be people who connect one with another. God has, is a person, and he is a, a person who communicates. And that's why he's made us like we are. Only he's on a far higher and more full-rounded level than we can dream of. But it is important to learn from that. And God creates things with his words. When he speaks, things happen. You can see it in Genesis 1. Creation happened through God speaking. Let there be light. Let there be. That was the mode of creation. There was nothing. There was a, a, a void. And God spoke into it. God who is eternal, who existed before anything else existed, who has no beginning and has no end. The ultimate creator and prime motivator spoke and things happened. That was the agency by which he used his words. Now actually his spirit moved on his words. We get that from the early chapter of Genesis as well. That as God spoke, the Holy Spirit actualized what he spoke. So when he spoke it, it happened. And God knew that would happen. Now, actually, as we read on through the Bible, it's clear that what God says is true. It is true, but it is truth. In other words, what is truth is what God says. Not what I think, not what you think, not what men say. It's not some totally isolated blob that even God submits to. God creates truth. So if he says something is like this, that is how it is. That's not open for debate. God speaks, it happens, he creates it, he creates truth. God's word is truth. When God was manifest in the flesh in Jesus, he is truth. So we're talking something pretty profound when we look at this. Now when, we, when God's word comes to us, it has an impact to change and create and bring things to pass in our lives. Here's a verse from Hebrews 4 verse 12, we could pop that one up. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I could take you to other scriptures as well. God's word is still a living thing. What God says happens. And God's word has power to change and to create. The spirit moves on the word still, even in our lives and in our current situation. God communicates with us with words. All through history, God has used words to communicate. Now, I, I'm not against visual. I think that's very important. And people say, well, we're in a visual age and all the rest of it. I'm not against that. That's fine. I understand that. I understand the whole thing. But I have to say to you that fundamentally, words are very, very important. And actually, God has used covenants for his relationship with men and women throughout history. From Adam right through to us, through the new covenant in Jesus, you will find history is shaped from a theological perspective by covenants, by the things God has decreed and said to a generation or an era. He worked with Adam and Noah and Abraham and Moses and David and through Jesus Christ with us through covenantal agreements. Now those covenants have visual things around them. It's not purely like a written document. There are 
fascinating things you can learn about how God uh, gives visual aids and seals it. So there's a lot to it. But fundamentally, God says, this is how it is, and this is how you relate to me. And, And then we say in response, yes, Lord, we respond our way. In our case, it's all about Jesus and what he did. And we'll take a little time about that in a moment. But I'm just laying out the stall. Words are very important. God has related to men and women through covenants all through history. Now, therefore, our words are very important to God. And the Bible indicates that God hears everything we say and records it. And actually, he will make use of it on a day of judgment. That what is said in secret and said in the heart will be made public. God knows what we say. He treats it more seriously than probably we do because he knows the value of words. Just looking at the book of Proverbs, we haven't got this on the PowerPoint. Uh, In Proverbs 6, there's a, a list, verses 16 to 19, there's a list of seven things the Lord hates. Three of the things God hates, three out of seven, are the misuse of words. God has a real issue with the misuse of words. He really does. Three out of the seven things God hates are the misuse of words. Jesus said this, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Jesus said, your character is indicated by what you say. Your words are an indicator of your character. That is how Jesus spoke. He said, your words tell me a lot about what's in your heart. And then here in Proverbs couple of them to look at. Proverbs 18 verse 21 tells us this, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it, this is on the next PowerPoint, those who love it will eat its fruit. The words of the reckless pierce like swords but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Let's just leave that up for a moment. The tongue has the power of life and death. That is extreme, but that's what the Bible says. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. We can be refreshed, healed, and built up through words. We can be damaged, hurt, and destroyed through words. We can be set free through words, We can be enslaved through words. Above all, and this is a very important thing, it's quite a profound thing, beliefs and convictions are formed in us and forged by words. Words are very important. Healthy, true, life-giving beliefs or false, twisted, death-bringing beliefs are formed and forged through words. And you say, John, are you being a bit dramatic? No, I'm not. I think Jesus gives us insights. We've seen one already. That out of the heart, the mouth speaks. There is in clearly a heart-mouth-faith link in the Bible, which you can't uncouple fully, and it's a dynamic relationship. Heart-mouth-faith. It's dynamic. You, you, don't, you don't get mechanical about it, but it's there. Look at this uh, verse, Mark 11. It's going to go up for you. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, 
go and throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it and it will be yours. Now we can puzzle about those verses and we can argue about it and I know you can think that some people might misuse them. If that's the only verse you keep on banging on about, perhaps you do misuse it. But there is a truth in it. There is a link between what we say and what we believe, which is pretty profound. And it's actually a two-way street. Let me try and explain. What you really believe in your heart, fundamentally, will come out of your mouth. And, And actually, that can be seen under pressure and in difficulty, that what you really believe comes out. And so you need to make sure that in your heart you really believe things about God and Jesus so that the right things come out at the right time. Uh, You know, that you have scriptures in there, frankly, so that when you're under trouble and difficulty, you respond in a way that is rooted in what you believe in your heart. But there is another funny, it's a dynamic thing, it's a two-way street. What you say affects what you believe. It does. If you repeat something endlessly, you in the end, you convince yourself it's true, even if it's not true. And if you have something said to you very forcefully, that sometimes creates a conviction in you, like you're an idiot or you're no good at anything or you can never do anything properly. And if you reinforce that, it becomes a faith in your heart. There is a dynamic here which is quite profound. And it's how God's made us I'm not saying it's a mantra thing. I'm not talking about spells or some nonsense. I'm talking about the dynamic of human beings made in the image of God. I mean, the fundamental answer is we have to hear what God's saying and we have to believe it and speak it. And when we line our mouths up with God's word, when our words line with God's word, that is amazing power. So when we pray rooted in God's word, when we speak rooted God's word, when we begin to believe God's word and speak it out, we are in seriously powerful areas of spiritual advance. But unfortunately, the negative works as well. When we believe things that are untrue and lies and are convinced of them and keep repeating them, we're digging a deeper hole for ourselves, which we have got to reverse through prayer, through the gospel, and through speaking the truth. It is an important area. It's ultimately very important that we line our lives up with God's word and then let our mouth begin to harmonize with what God says and what our heart believes. So our words are very important. In Proverbs, it says this. These, these ones aren't on the PowerPoint. Sorry, I, I, I know some are and some aren't. But there's so many, I thought we'd be doing too many PowerPoints. But in, in, in Proverbs, it's just a sentence. In Proverbs 12, verse 13, it says this. Evildoers are trapped by their sinful talk. So our mouths can trap us. But verse 14 in the same chapter says, From the fruit of their lips, people are filled with good things. So actually, our lips can produce good things or they can trap us. This is the truth of God's word. And so as we move to our second point, pleasant or perverse words, we're actually now talking about something very important. I hope I've got your attention. Because this is not just about saying a few nice things. This is about something deeply important. I might say, by the way, it's why I personally... I don't even know quite, I can fully put this in words clearly to you. I have to try and do. I am slightly concerned about political correctness. 
I'm concerned about a culture which tries to change what words mean and what truth and words mean in order to fashion culture. And that's what we're going through in our very nation at this time, where people are not allowed to say some things that I would say are true, and things are beginning to be fashioned as an attempt. It's almost like a spiritual battle. We can think it's all about tolerance and politeness, but behind it, there is a deeper battle about what you can and can't say, whether it's about something religious, or whether it's about Jesus, or whether it is in other areas. And I think we're not to be un foolish but we're not to be unaware that it, it we need to think what am I I don't want to say things that I don't believe are true I want to say Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and I won't stop saying it because it's the truth and all other religions are false religions and actually things like that it doesn't mean I don't love other people but that you know there's just things I'm not going to stop saying them I'm not going to be squ- because words are important and it's important we're good with them at every, every level. Let's talk on. Pleasant and perverse words. Here are some of the things that Proverbs tells us about words that I think we can really learn from, which show that our choice of words is very, very important. Here's one, Proverbs 15, verse 1. This will go up for you. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. There is actually a power in a gentle answer in a conflict situation. Now, a gentle answer doesn't necessarily mean you back off the truth. It's just how you answer. I mean, it's a bit of a common sense, really. I don't know if you... Have you ever tried to argue in a whisper? Perhaps, perhaps some of us have. It's quite hard to argue in a whisper. It quite quickly begins to... So it just can't stay in a whisper. Equally... Try arguing with someone, perhaps you have, who always answers you gently. It's quite difficult to keep the argument going. They state what they think, but they do it gently. It's powerful. A gentle answer turns away wrath. It's true. You can actually defuse a conflict situation with a gentle answer. It's very powerful. But it says, harsh words stirs up strife. A rising voice and harsh words almost always trigger anger in the person listening. They almost always do. So even, you know, a rising voice and harsh words stir up things. Or an angry, critical, accusing sort of comment will inevitably raise the temperature on a conflict and inflame things. And we need to learn the wisdom of Proverbs, the God-given wisdom, even how you say things Good things and true things is as important as just what you're saying. One old writer called Matthew Henry, I love reading his stuff, it's about 350 years ago. He wrote this in commentary on these verses. Hard arguments do best with soft words. Now just listen to the wisdom. What he means by hard arguments? If you're saying something that's quite hard for a person to hear, saying something that is a pretty strong argument for your case, which will probably be you know, counter to what they're saying, hard arguments, he says, do best with soft words. You don't need to shout it. You don't need to add a load of emotion to it. If you speak softly the truth or you speak your point clearly and gently, it will be more effective. Remember, gentle and soft doesn't mean mealy-mouthed. It just means the way you say them, the words you choose to say it and the manner and demeanor. 
There are a few other things in here. Let's look at this one. Proverbs 16, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Do you know gracious, kind words can actually make people feel better? Honestly, you can do good to people just by the way you speak. They can be like honey to the soul, sweetness to the soul. And I think even an element of mental and physical healing can come from being graciously spoken to and caringly spoken to. Words are powerful. They are really powerful. Proverbs 15, 23, another one here. A person finds joy in giving an apt reply. How good is a timely word? You yourself get a pleasure when you say something thoughtfully that just helps someone or just brings opening of their eyes or wisdom. I, I mean, when you have the privilege of saying something like that, and perhaps all of us do to a degree, where you, it's just a timely, it's just a, a maybe an encouragement or a bit of wisdom. You know, not only do you get joy for the person receiving it, there's a joy for you in doing it. But here's a little bit of the warning ones. That would be pleasant words. Listen to this one. I like this one. Proverbs 26. Like one who grabs a stray dog by the ears is someone who rushes into a quarrel, not their own. (laughs) A stray dog by the ears. (laughs) You know, it's a stupid thing to do. If you rush in to a quarrel with your opinion, weighing in into a quarrel that's not yours, you're about as clever as someone who grabs a stray dog by the ears. Don't be surprised if you get bitten. You know, some, we're all guilty of it. Sometimes we just sort of really, yeah, 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 you know, I think about this. And, I, and, and it's almost like a verbal fight. I wade in alongside everybody else who's laying their opinion. I've got my opinion as well, wallop. And before long, you know, it's like a couple of dogs fighting. And it's a, it's a wise thing. Be careful that you don't get over sort of excited and over high rating your opinion in something that isn't actually your business. And here's another one in the same chapter, 26, 21. As charcoal to embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. (laughs) I mean, you know, if you're just an irritable quarreling person, don't be surprised if you've constantly got strife around you. Now, I I honestly think we need to think about this. You say, well, we're very, very, very prone in our day and age that because we understand psychology and character and we can all do Myers-Briggs tests and we can all do this and that, psychrometric this and that, we think, well, I'm just like that. I just use a few, I'm just blunt. Well, thanks. That means you go through life irritating people. And, and, and I always feel with people who are blunt, you be blunt back to them. They don't stay quite so gentle then. So, well, I like to say it black and white. Oh, okay, I'll give it to you black and white. Your mouth gets you into trouble. Be quiet. Ooh, who dare you talk to me? How dare you talk to me like that? Well, you like it black and white. Look, actually, actually, we all need to think. We all need to think how we speak. I know that. I'm going to get to myself in a minute. We all need to think how we speak. Now, many proverbs, I'm not, so many I'm not even going to look at them because they would be here all morning, they warn us of the effects of lying. Lying is a very common thing. They talk about division and hatred and loss of trust and destruction through lying. But they also say how honest words bring healing and wholeness and honor and pleasure. There's loads of it. It's all through proverbs. And there's also a warning, not a warning, an encouragement that sometimes 
it is better to say something that someone has difficulty hearing out of love for them. Let's put that one up, Proverbs 27, which is a good one. It's better to speak the truth in love, in fact, than not to say anything. Look at this. Better is, hit, is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That reminds us that it's not like a choice of just, you know, spit it out or say nothing. There is a possibility of speaking the truth in love. It's quite possible. It's, it's better, it's maybe tougher to openly rebuke someone who you love than to keep your love hidden. And the wounds of a friend can be trusted. Someone who shows friend loose but says, look, actually, I want to say something to you. Hopefully they'll use those gentle words, uh, but they will say, this is the truth. This is going to be a bit of a wound, but it's going to heal and bring hope. So there's masses of good stuff in there. I could go on a long time. But there's one other one that, uh, in this perverse and pleasant sort of category, there's one other category of speech, what we call perverse speech, that Proverbs has quite a lot to say about apart from lying. And that is the word gossip. (laughs) There's a lot in Proverbs about gossip. The subject comes up again and again. And actually, gossip, I mean, I I find this quite challenging because I think I can be a bit of a gossip. Well, I do think I am now. I've read all this lot. But uh, (laughs) I mean, basically... I think, well, what, what does it mean? Isn't, what, well, you know, it's a harmless word, isn't it? What does gossip mean? Isn't it all harmless? Uh, well, what's it all about? But actually, God seems to have a very serious attitude to gossip. A bit of a, sort of, a, bit of a shock, really, to read it. If you're an established Christian, you'll know that Romans chapter 1 has got a really in-your-face diagnosis of sin. It is so blunt that we almost can't read it in the modern world. It spells out what God sees as sin pretty graphically, including some very obvious sexual sins and idolatry. But actually, when you come to the climax of this sort of, um, what should we say, laying out of sin and telling it how it is from God's perspective, you read these verses, which will go up, it's, it's about sin then, okay, in its sort of pure fruit and, 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 and form. And it says, about people who are sinners and rebels against God, they have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decrees that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they approve those who practice them. It is a pretty powerful analysis of human sin in Romans 1. And we do need to read it, and we need to recognize what is in it. But often when Christians do recognize what is in it, they tend to focus on a couple of verses I haven't quoted, verses 26 and 27, which are pretty explicit about some sexual sins, which are in the list. But we don't notice that they are in the same company. The same list includes gossips and slanderers. God sees this as pretty serious. And sometimes Christians and churches will love to bang on about 
you know, various sexual sins that might be highlighted in verses 26, 27. But we need to realize that actually gossips and slanderers are in the same category in God's, from God's perspective. And that's something that, 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 that Proverbs reinforces as well. So what's meant by this? Well, gossips are those who can't keep confidences. They're people who share personal information inappropriately. Now, what does inappropriate mean? Well, I think a rule of thumb is when you share something with someone who's not part of the problem or part of the answer. That's a good little rule of thumb. So you can share things with someone who is part of the problem. In other words, you might be challenging them about their behavior or their action and asking them for for something to be put right. You can share something with someone who's part of the answer. They, they have some influence or they could come with you and address this with someone or, or they, they are a good friend and maybe be able to help you or the person. You know, so someone who's part of the problem or maybe part of the answer, it's not wrong to share things with. But sharing them when there's nothing involving that person at all is questionable. That is a sort of fundamental aspect of gossip. Another aspect that will be in definition is someone who deliberately spreads information to undermine or criticize another person's reputation or behavior. Now that is serious. Deliberately spreads information designed to undermine or criticize another person's behavior or reputation. Basically, it's sharing something about someone else which you should have left unsaid to that person or in that situation. Gossip is divisive, it's destructive, and it is delicious. Proverbs 18, verse 8. Look at this one. The words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the inmost parts. Gossip is, unfortunately, very attractive. It gives us a feeling of power. It gives us a feeling of better about ourselves. We're putting ourselves in a good light. We're securing ourselves. We're defending. We're doing something weird. And it's sort of quite nice to hear bad things about people, sadly. It's why the newspapers sell sell so well when they do this sort of thing. It's like a delicious dessert. You know, once you've had one mouthful, you want more. It's, oh, that's very nice. And the only answer is the same way a serious dieter deals with a box of chocolates. It's not even open the box. It's the only answer, because once you've had one or two, you're done for. You, you, You are drawn in. And actually, on this gossip issue, the listening is just as important as the telling it. There's mutual responsibility here. It's just as wrong to to, to sort of draw it on and listen to it and encourage it as it is giving the gossip. I, when I was thinking about this, I, I think someone might have mentioned it in one of the commentaries. I can't remember exactly, but somewhere it clicked. Do, do you know the whole of human sin and suffering and destruction started with something that you could almost call gossip? That was in the Garden of Eden. Eve listened to something she shouldn't have listened to. And what Satan did was gossiped about God. He, he applied a couple of the principles I've read. For example, deliberately spreading information designed to undermine or criticize someone else's behavior. I mean, basically, what Satan said to Eve was a twisted half-truth. Oi, don't you realize God's not as good as he seems? 
I mean, he said that, but he really means that. What you don't understand is he's holding out of you on you there, and I'm here to tell you that I've got the measure of it, and you need to know what I know, that God's hanging out, holding out on you. It's actually not far from ordinary gossip. And Eve should not have taken any notice of it, and it was the seed of everything that's gone wrong in the world since. <laughs> so obviously, God sees it as pretty important that we don't do this. We don't twist things and inappropriately share them, that we're thoughtful about what we say and who we say it to. God treats this very seriously. Now, when I was reading that and thinking about it, it brought home to me something about myself, which is going to be true of you. We are, really, really are sinners, aren't we? We did need Jesus to die for us, didn't we? See, sometimes I think some of us still don't always quite believe it. I mean, loads of us have done awful things, but some of us think, well, I haven't committed adultery. Uh, I don't think I've stolen anything deliberately. I certainly haven't murdered anyone. I haven't raped. You know, pretty good, really. <laughs> sort of underneath, we can think like but when you get into this stuff, you realize, oh, oh I, I, you know, there is in my flesh dwells no good thing. I need saving. Someone had to die for me. And actually, the way God lays it out, for example, we read it in Romans 1, is this is very serious stuff. It's up there with everything else that I can obviously see as serious. And so it's in the whole caboodle of human sin. There is no one righteous. Not even one is true. There is no one in themselves righteous, not even one. You know, sometimes people say, why is all this about sin and I need a saviour? I tell you, you need a saviour. I mean, Proverbs 19, this is not on the screen, by the way. Proverbs 19, I was just reading it this morning. Verse 5 says this, A false witness will not go unpunished, and whoever pours out lies will not go free. Basically, it's saying that God punishes this stuff. False witness, lying, God sees as very important. When we stand before him, every mouth will be silenced. We won't be able to, it'll be more, oh wretched man that I am. You can say that now, who will deliver me? And there's an answer, Jesus Christ. Oh wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin? Well, Jesus will deliver you. Jesus died for your sins, he died for mine. I thank God he did. I gossip, I lie, I exaggerate. I try not to now so much, but I certainly have done it all my life and I still slip into it. Without Jesus, I easily sin in this area. I don't know about you. I think we easily do stuff that is unrighteous and is unwise. And we needed a saviour who delivers us from it and changes us and lifts us up and brings us into a kingdom. And we've only got a five minutes to end on all this stuff, so I have to be quick. Where we are being taught by the Holy Spirit to speak differently. When you come into Ephesians, and I'm quickly going to turn to it, it's not on the PowerPoint. When you come into Ephesians, there's a whole bit about how we live as Christians, as children of light. And in quite a lot of it is about how we speak. I'm only going to give you a taster. So here, here we got a couple of verses. Let me read them to you as Christians. Verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members one of another. One body. 
In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other, just as Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. Basically, when we're Christians, it should affect how we speak. We've come from one kingdom to another. Satan's kingdom is full of gossip, slander, lies and anger and malice. And the kingdom of God is one of grace and mercy and gentleness and upbuilding and truth and honesty and care, loving, thoughtful speech. Not necessarily the same thing as not saying things, but doing it in a thoughtful, loving way. And the Holy Spirit is going to teach us to live and speak differently as Christians. And we need to see that we need everything in God's armory to help us. Our natural tendency is to be full speaking, twisting things, avoiding saying what benefits us, exaggerating, pulling back. And we need the help of God's Holy Spirit, which we can have to live differently. In Ephesians 5, and I'm right on to the last section now without lingering too much. In Ephesians 5, it tells us this. It's not on the PowerPoint. It says, be filled with the Spirit. Let me get the verse right. Uh, Do not be drunk of wine, which leads to the body. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, songs uh, from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. One of the ways we have victory in this very tricky area of how we speak is not about rules and laws and not about us desperately almost getting neurotic about what we say. It's not that. It's being filled with the Spirit. And then allowing the Holy Spirit to put good stuff in our mouths in an ordinary way. So we're making melody. We're singing songs of praise. We're speaking the truth. We're giving thanks. We're just giving thanks to God. And and, and we're speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And when you're doing that, it's quite hard to suddenly slip over into vindictive, critical, gossipy, nasty, angry stuff. So the answer to how, the practical advice bit, we're on the last bit, the answer to how do we put this right is we recognize that it is a very real weakness. We recognize it's why Jesus died for us. But we realize also that we are now children of the light called to a different way to speak. And so one of the ways we do that is being filled with the Spirit and speaking out to God's goodness filled with the word of God I'd argue as well being able to talk out the word of God being able to think about the word of God being able to talk God's sort of way about things so that we we think and speak in line with God the more we do that the less we will trip over into these perverse speech problems we do begin then to be aware of what we're saying I don't want you neurotic but I want you thinking about it I mean even just when you're saying some information think you know are the words I'm about to say true? What are, is this true? If it isn't, don't say it. So you're talking about somebody else. Is it true? Then the next question is, is it necessary? Now, if it isn't necessary, you might still say it, okay? But at least if you think, if it's not necessary, what's going to be the benefit? That's a subsidiary question. What is this doing for me? What is it doing for the hearer? 
can they help me, which they might be able to, if it's a trouble thing that's troubling you, can they help me, will it be a positive outcome that I'm looking for, or is it just gratuitous? I know you might want to learn to think fairly quickly, <laughs> but you think, is it true? Don't say it if it's not. If it is true, what's the benefit? Why am I telling it? What, what, what am I looking for? What, I'm, I'm looking for some help. I'm going to ask them to pray for me. I don't know. Now, we won't get everything right, but that is a scriptural way of thinking. These words are important. These words mean something. Am I right to say them? What comes out of my mouth is important. And my final point is this, practical. We need to see that what we say in every way, not just about gossip, but in ways of speaking the truth and in ways of bringing grace and help to people and in ways of changing even how we believe and think, what we say is very important. And although we've been rooted in, largely, the Old Testament, here is a New Testament passage to finish with. This comes from 1 Peter 3 and verses 9 and 10. If you could pop it up, thank you. It says this, do, this is Peter writing, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. Actually, what we say has a huge impact on our lives and on other people's lives. And sometimes we need even help to dig out of holes we've dug for ourselves with what we've said. We need prayer and we need a bit of wisdom and and support and we need to begin to speak the truth. And for example, if you believe lies in an area, it, you, you may take some time to correct that. You know, many years you've been saying that falsehood. So you might need to have some grace and help to, to get thinking God's way and speaking God's way. But it's worth doing it because, as it says here, if you love life and want to see good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceitful speech. There is the power of life and death in the tongue.